at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, I don't even know, happy something. Happy Olympics. Yeah. Olympics are fun. Happy Mello de God Day. <laughs> happy Carmelo saves the U.S. from utter hilarity and uh, really unfortunate early ousting of the turn. They really might have lost without Carmelo. Carmelo was amazing, and the rest of the team looked like garbage. Yeah, uh, utter garbage, especially the Warriors players, which shouldn't surprise anyone based on what they did at the end of the playoffs. I can't believe you brought that up, John. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of become my thing to just hate on these nouveau riche uh, fan bases and programs and you know what they all end up disappointing eventually so it's not like i've ever been proven wrong fair enough all right um so i guess jumping into some football i know uh first we figured we'd discuss some of the stuff on the site and jump into some atlantic uh, division previews uh we're not going to talk much syracuse preview uh we're going to save that for a couple weeks from now when we do a full hour long ish um, SU, you know, in-depth roster and and, uh, and everything else preview. But um, Dan, looking first at the uh, the miserable road trip that I uh, prescribe for fans who might want to watch 24 different ACC games live this year. Um, does any part of this this road trip make you want to do it, or, or is this really just kind of the worst possible scenario for for any fan of anything? I mean, who wouldn't want to see William & Mary at NC State and then drive up to Syracuse at Col- Col- Dade Syracuse and then drive down to NC Central at Duke? <laughs> I can't imagine anyone not wanting to do that thing. Well, and then you forgot the kicker on that weekend. Well, that would actually be fun. Ole Miss at first Florida State was, is one of the highlights of week one, um, a week with many highlights. I would just probably rather – I guess I would rather, probably rather go to the Col- Dade Syracuse game and fly down uh, and not ever watch NC Central play a game of football. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, NC Central probably is analogous to somebody else that we willingly watch Syracuse play over the years. Uh, for myself, maybe Maine. For you, maybe it's Colgate, Stony Brook. Um, sure. I mean, I have no idea what NC Central's like, but I've seen all You're those bad. teams live, and uh, <laughs> yeah, don't need to see it. Uh, don't need to see it in a game that I'm not. Uh, don't have a rooting interest in. Fair enough. Uh, for those who didn't read it, uh, it's basically a large article saying how uh, you could road trip around the ACC for the entire season. The only parameters are that you have to drive everywhere. You have to see all 14 stadiums. Um, I also added in the caveat that you have to go to the uh, Bristol Motor Speedways game in week two, and you have to go to the ACC championship um, The whole thing gets more complicated by the fact that the conference stretches from Boston to Miami. Um, There's a game in Texas in there. Again, there's a game in Tennessee in there. You end up doubling back from North Carolina to Syracuse several times. Um, The whole thing's a bit of a disaster. Um, I'm not apologizing for it, but yeah. Funnish read if you're into that sort of thing. And Houston gets an ACC invite. Yeah, that's that's the best part at the end. Houston gets smoked by Louisville and then gets invited to the ACC. I have seen, not like distrust, but I have seen like, I don't know, just mention of like, hey, why wouldn't the ACC invite Houston? And uh, there are reasons for that. <laughs> there are plenty of reasons. I've got, um, I've got various reasons. Uh, number one, that if anyone's talking about it, it means it's not going to happen. Number two is, hey, does Notre Dame want to play Houston? No. no? Okay, <laughs> we're not inviting Houston. <laughs> Next. Yeah, that, that's really, that's number one. That's like step one, two, and three of, hey, are you going to get an ACC invite? Does Notre Dame like you? No? All right, we'll move on. Yeah, that's what I think a lot of people, a lot of people still think that, um, like, the rest of the schools can have any say in this. I mean, 
I think everyone's of the opinion that Notre Dame would prefer Texas over anybody else. I think everybody would prefer Texas over everybody else. Um, I think Texas is far-fetched for a lot of reasons, um, but I think Texas is also more realistic than Houston, um, which I know sounds silly, but is probably true anyway. Yeah, um, it's just like there's no way the ACC would do anything that would uh, take away the possibility of Notre Dame joining at some point unless, like, that became a total 0% chance. So, uh, yeah. And since it's not going to, we uh, we just kind of continue on. I don't Correct. Think it's, I, I don't think it's ever going to get to a zero percent chance. Um, not with uh, the uh, not with the extension of the grant of rights through yeah. twenty thirty six. That's uh, ACC. If any, if they're going anywhere, as we say, whenever this comes up, they're going to the ACC for the foreseeable future. So feel good about that. Take that, Big Ten. Yeah. Conference. They were also never joining ever. Right. Yeah, Big Ten. We got you there. Yeah. Um, all right. Shut up about your money. <laughs> so other things going on in Syracuse. Uh, D-Line was uh, was kind of the focus today and uh, found it interesting, um, you know, just kind of some of the reports out of camp. It seems like Chris Slayton, defensive tackle, uh, was getting some reps at defensive end. It seems like they're going to be um, – Rather than differentiating between right and left uh, sides of the line, they're going to be differentiating uh, strong and weak side. It seemed like they'll have um, different packages, um, you know, for run stopping, maybe for some you know, speed rushing on the edge. It seems that they'll be able to, to rotate in a lot of guys, which makes sense. You put Slayton at an end, you could potentially, you know, ha- have a three-man line of, of Slayton, Caden Samuels, and Stephen Clark, getting those three on the field at the same time. Um, and, and then, you know, grabbing maybe one of the bigger defensive ends, probably um, John Wilson, if, uh, the Colorado transfer, if I had to guess, in, in a package like that. While in others, it seems like a lot of the, the newer guys, that you're, you're Joshua Blacks and Kendall Coleman's, uh, and along with, you know, Jake Picard, Kenny Ruff, those are the types of guys that you would see in more of a, uh, a speed rushing package. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we're talking about it in the comments. I think the big plus for me, at least in a situation like this, is that, you know, Babers, not only does he have a system which is different than uh, the previous regime at Syracuse, but um, he's willing to to adapt it, adjust it. He understands the limitations of his personnel, and he's willing to try new things uh, within the very loose confines of of his system. Um, And not that I want to talk about Baylor at all today, but, um, you know, that was one of the kind of biggest uh, advantages of Baylor's system um, under Art Bryles, and that was, you know, just this this malleability to to be able to do certain things. I mean, case in point, um, you know, the, uh, the the five running back game last year, where they basically didn't have a quarterback and managed to create a whole new offense on the fly, and uh, and still put up almost 600 yards of offense. So, uh, I, I think with luck, Babers has taken the right notes from from that period of his career, um, and it seems so far like like he's willing to, and he's willing to to wait on implementing, you know, maybe everything, everything he wants to while still getting the most out of Syracuse's players on campus. Yeah, and with the D-line, it's been such a depth issue over the last couple of years that it kind of necessitates uh, this creativity um, and putting guys in positions where maybe they uh, aren't playing their natural spot, but there are just kind of limited numbers there. Um, Obviously, the Dijon Wilson transfer helps, and, uh, you know, having Jake Picard coming off of red shirt's nice, but... uh, there isn't like a ton of experience. Like we have very few upperclassmen, um, so it's just going to have to be a makeshift unit. But uh, it does seem like everyone is fine with that and adjusting to that, and uh, should be an interesting one to watch. It's, it's probably the. It's. I mean, I would say it's definitely one of the uh, parts of the team that we know the least about, at least in terms of uh, in terms of personnel. Obviously, everything's new in terms of scheme. Yeah, I think the personnel question marks are what really gave a lot of people pause. Um, including myself and I know you and others, uh, but I know national folks that have talked about Syracuse. I think it's pretty common knowledge that defensive line is 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 rough. It doesn't mean that it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to take some time to round into form, um, and this is obviously when you'd want a schedule to be able to allow it to do that. Um, so Louisville early, Notre Dame early, and you know USF and UConn early don't really help that a ton. But hopefully, you know, the, the team's able to kind of, 
you know, figure out at least portions of itself against Colgate so that they're ready a week uh, later in that Friday night showcase against Louisville. Um, you know, you mentioned how young everybody was, though, and actually talked to another article uh, that was up on the site um, just about, you know, it's not to, to write off this year to look ahead, but, you know, 2017 is looking extremely promising um, because of all the youth. I mean, you look up and down the depth chart, there's very few seniors, there's only a handful of juniors. Um, that, that youth really hurt us last year. It might be damaging this year, but, um, you know, next year when you have a, a pretty well-seasoned uh, defensive line, a, a, a aggressive group of linebackers, you've got uh, a secondary that, that could round into form and, and really couldn't be worse than they were last year, um, in all honesty. Um, then you've got, I mean, that's just on the defensive end. Then you look at the other side of the ball, um, you'll have an offensive line that, again, is, is kind of coming into its own um, as that, that vaunted class of 2015, you know, continues to, to assert itself. You'll have, hopefully, you know, a healthy Dungy, returning Steve Ishmael, you'll have Herb Phillips, you'll have Fredericks, Dante Strickland. Like, there's a, it's not, again, it's not to look ahead to 2017, but it is to point out that, um, you know, we might take our lumps in 2016, but th- there could be a great payoff um, next year, um, obviously. Yeah, it actually kind of uh, dovetails nicely because, you know, you could have had a situation where this year was going to be a more senior-laden team, but you have it learning uh, a whole new system where, you know, Babers has said pretty consistently the adjustments like a year and a half before things really start to click. And that would have been unfortunate because then you would have had a young team in year two or year three, uh, where now it it almost seems like the team will be a pretty veteran group by the time it's truly learned what it's doing on the field in Babers' system. Um, on both ends of the ball. So that might actually work out nicely where we see a peak uh, right at the right time. And obviously it'll be helped by Babers getting his recruits in and the types of guys that he wants to uh, run his system. Because obviously right now he's kind of working with what he's got, which he's proved to be good at in the past since he, he's never actually run his own system with his own players <laughs> uh, in his two stops previous. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we could see a, a pretty nice like season two Breakout doesn't seem like uh, that crazy. And, and, you know, Syracuse did it before under Marone. So um, that would definitely be nice. And because, you know, year one, I think pretty much everyone is is going to be fairly open-minded with the Babers system. And uh, there's, you know, it's hard to not have a grace period or a honeymoon period with a new coach in college football. Uh, year two, year three is where the pressure starts to dead on. And if that's when the team is best equipped to have a breakout, I mean, that's awesome. So hopefully, uh, I mean, I would love to see the team win this year, but... Uh, if it doesn't, you know, I think we all understand the situation. Um, a breakout 2017, 2018 would be would be pretty great, and uh, I think we're all we're all looking forward to see what happens with a lot of these guys. Like you said, Dungey and Ishmael will be uh, junior senior next year. Um, not to look too far ahead, but uh, it does seem like things are lined up pretty well for those seasons. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, it's not as if Babers. I mean, I'm sure he didn't do this. Any any job he was up for, it's not like he sat there with a depth chart and figured things out. Um, but that said, because of roster changes, because of how things kind of shook out at the end of last year, and from what we've seen so far this spring, it just seems like yeah, Babers quickly, quickly figured out what he had on his hands and what he could use right now and what he could use in the future. Um, and I think you know that's again, it's again, it's not to, to blast the old staff too much. It's just to point out that you know an experienced um, you know head coach can come into a program, especially if he has a system that he knows that he recruits for and he needs certain players for. He can quickly walk into a program and kind of you know ascertain what what's on hand and what will be on hand. Um, and I think you know once again, Babers has done a really nice job of, of figuring that out, and he's, he's got fans excited. And you know what I think. And I, I hope this for everyone, but I know this for myself, um, and, and I know this for you too. And you know, is because of how hard the schedule is, you know, four and eight, five and seven is very much in play. Now that might not look like a big improvement for folks, but um, I think you know it, it stands to reason that we're going to see um, a nice step forward this year, even if the wins don't come, and that's going to set us up again, you know, very well for what should be a a positive game next year. Um, not helped by facing LSU, but whatever. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely all about just seeing tangible progress and evidence of uh, a real step forward on the field. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people have said, not just us, others around college football, like the, the wins might not come right away, especially because, you know, the schedule isn't, isn't the easiest. And uh, obviously just any first-year head coach isn't going to step into success right away. Depend uh, with you know inheriting what Syracuse is, but uh, 
yeah, I think uh, we all, I think everyone around the fan base seems to have fairly decent expectations in terms of like not getting too far ahead of themselves, which is nice. I haven't seen too much like craziness, which is good. I would agree. Um, I think there's one other item I wanted to bring up in the first half of this. Um, ACC is going to be having its athletic directors vote on a, a football scheduling structure on Friday. Um, that should be interesting. There's been a couple of proposals sent around. I know over the weekend, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution was talking to now former um, Georgia Tech athletic director Mike Babinski, now at Purdue somehow, which I don't know why you'd make that move, but whatever. Um, I know he's a, he's a Midwest guy, but besides that, I don't know why you'd make that move. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the proposal of this 8 plus 2 thing really kind of, had me a bit riled up on Sunday. I know I've been talking about it since, talking about it on Twitter with folks today. Um, I don't mind nine. I'd be fine with the status quo as well. I just think that eight plus two seems stupid. It's mathematically infeasible. Um, it completely ignores the, the contracts that are currently written up. I mean, you look at a school like Virginia Tech that has, you know, uh, 29 dates out of 32 secured already through 2024. Um, that puts them at a financial disadvantage, um, and it basically penalizes them for, for getting out ahead of things while it rewards schools like Syracuse and, to an extent, Boston College, a couple others, for, for really not getting out ahead of it. Um, the 8 plus 2 model also really only caters to four schools um, in the ACC. You know, that's Florida State, uh, that's Clemson, that's Georgia Tech, and that's Louisville, um, all the schools that have SEC rivals. Um, so to me, I, I, I don't think it really helps anybody else. I think that... Um, it potentially takes a win off the table and, and not at the expense of, of more conference games. Like, it's one thing, I feel like a nine-game schedule. If you're going to have more conference games, I can, I can better stomach taking a win off the schedule. I can better stomach taking, um, you know, adding to inventory at the same time for an ACC network. But if you're going to do it this way and, and force teams into these awkward marriages... Uh, of two power conference programs and their non-conference schedule when that's not going to happen based on, again, math. Um, you know, do you really... Are, are, is it really worth trying to sell us on, you know, Wake Forest, Washington State, or Boston College, Arizona, uh, you know, at, at University of Phoenix Stadium or some, you know, nonsense like that when instead you could have, you know, an extra ACC game um, of Boston College versus Pitt? I mean, you'd have that every every couple of years instead of every, like, six. And then BC and Pitt play, and no matter where it is, it's going to be an ACC-owned game. I just think that the, the 8 plus 2 logic uh, fails uh, pretty much every litmus test, while at least the 9 game and the 8 game with the, you know, mandatory one power conference program thing that's already in play um, just seems to make a lot more sense. Yeah, I think you hit on all the major ones. 8 plus 2 just seems so messy. Um, it obviously hurts schools like Syracuse, BC, whomever else who, you know, someday I'd love to be in a position where Syracuse can play two power conference schools and not worry about what it, how it affects the, uh, the team's outcome. But, like, for the next couple of years, and obviously I don't think this would be put into a place like in 2017, but it just, you know, you're, you're taking a school. I mean, it might not actually change all that much in terms of how Syracuse realistically schedules now because they're very bad at it. But, um, it, you're just burying those teams that could use the extra win to prop uh, prop themselves up a little bit. Um, nine games I'm fine with. I, I almost prefer that to the eight just because, and I know that that kind of contradicts what I just said, but at least you're playing a conference opponent and you, you know, it helps unite uh, what seems like two pretty disparate divisions at this point since, you know, we only play Miami every six years. We're only hosting them every 12 years, et cetera. Um, just seems like eight plus two, like you said, it, it's just pandering to those four schools. Um, and I get like wanting to help, you know, help out Clemson and Florida State where you can, but I—they're free to and, schedule like that anyway. Yeah, and and I get that. Take putting nine games gives them less flexibility, but you know they're they're already scheduling pretty much two marquee games every year. Um, it's not like Clemson plays uh, South Carolina and three you know terrible teams. They're this year they're playing Auburn. They uh, play Auburn Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. yeah, so they, they, like, they're already doing similar things, So and they're free to do that going forward, even if there's another ACC game. Um, so yeah, I, I really hope the 8-plus-2 doesn't come to fruition. It just seems like a really 
Uh, it just seems like a sloppy thing, and I get needing wanting more uh, attractive games for the network that's coming up. But wouldn't like we we see what happens with the bowl games every year? The revenue for even like the crappy, uninteresting bowl games is pretty crazy. Uh, they all pull good ratings in compared to like the rest of of you know even the college football calendar. Even if it's like you know Boston College versus Cal in the Emerald, you know Almond Bowl or whatever the so ridiculous bowl is. The first round of the MLB playoffs. Right, no, yeah, every bowl game that features, like, any team of any prominence does crazy ratings. Why wouldn't you want more ACC teams in bowl games? Like, the A-plus-2 could be the difference between Syracuse winning five games and Syracuse winning six. And, you know, Syracuse in the pinstripe bowl for the 8,000th time doesn't seem that interesting, but both those games rated really well. So I, I just see it feel like, you know, if you're going to do something, I much prefer nine, because at least then... You know, the S game you're adding uh, also makes it feel like the ACC is one conference rather than this, like, weird divide that it does now. Um, I'd also be okay if they just stuck with eight until the hand is forced. But, um, yeah, I, I, there's definitely some, like, Syracuse bias in there because it's in a different situation than, like, if we were Louisville and we were winning eight, nine games every year. Um, but eight plus two just seems like an, an unnecessary step. Yeah, I mean, when I was talking to some Florida State fans and some uh, Clemson fans about it, those fans seem to think that, you know, their retort, and and I'm not saying they're wrong, like, uh, just outright, I'm just saying that it's kind of flawed, is just, they were saying, you know, why would we, why would we make, why would we cater to the bottom dwellers in the conference when making scheduling, um, you know, considerations? They said, well, like, to counter that, why why would you only cater to the top teams either? Why not? Like eight plus two only helps a small number of people. Um, I, I don't think that. I think nine helps the lesser teams to an extent. I think that eight helps the lesser teams to an even greater extent. But like I, to me, I just you know, like we said, I think you know, self determination, allowing these schools to to schedule home games and schedule wins to build themselves up. I mean, I, I've always been a, a proponent of the rising tide lifts all boats uh, mantra, especially when it comes to this conference in football. Um, it, it just makes a lot more sense that if you have, you know, 10 or 11 bowl teams, um, I mean, A, it makes you more money anyway, um, and, and B, you know, eventually more players, more better players start showing up in recruiting, um, so then the teams actually get better. Um, I mean, you know, you look at how the SEC schedule. The SEC isn't scheduling the way the ACC is proposing you schedule, um, and, and they do just fine, and, you know, they, they're bad teams scheduling wins so they can still go six and six um no one's really you know running them over the coals for that i just if conference alignment taught us anything it's that it's 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 about you know quantity not quality um i mean that's why the big 10 added maryland and rutgers that's why you know even the acc added you know Pitt when it was it's mired in a long-term mediocrity and us we were just kind of getting our sea legs again as a program before dropping back down. Like, it was about the overall inventory, and you're not going to make more money um, with an ACC network because of that Florida State um, USC game you had versus you know that Wake Forest Elon game. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's more. It's either way that those same amount of games existed, except now because you had the Florida State USC game. Or the Clemson Ohio State game, you only own one of those. So to me, it doesn't make any sense why you would you would now compromise all that and everything and all the knowledge we've picked up throughout this realignment process, and then just throw it out the window. Yeah, it's just frustrating. But uh, you know, hopefully, it is made the right choices. As we said last week, the ACC's done things fairly well uh over the last couple of years to this point uh so hopefully they continue to and don't do something just kind of weird and like just bizarre it's just like a really strange path to go down um especially when the tools that it helps can just kind of do what they do already right and yeah and i think what, what what is helped here too is that it's not the co- and that's not to insult coaches it's just more to say that it's good that the coaches aren't making these decisions it seems like some of the athletic directors are going to be consulting with coaches before they make their votes, but I think it's better to see the athletic directors who were paid to see things from a bird's eye view in these situations uh, make this call versus coaches who I feel like would base it on what they can see in the near term, what they can see in terms of their um, you know ability to win now, 
Um, and I could see that that tinging their efforts. I think that with the again with the ADs voting, uh, there's a lot more of a holistic view applied, and there's a lot more um, I think long term thought put into it, which is helpful. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so I guess uh, I guess we got a little bit of early halftime. Uh, that way, we kind of have a clear demarcation between the two parts of the show. So, uh, what have you been drinking, Dan? Uh, I had a couple of new things this weekend. Uh, the newer stuff I had, uh, I tried our Captain Lawrence's Effortless Grapefruit Session IPA, which I really enjoyed. Uh, super refreshing, uh, not too overpoweringly grapefruity, but also like you definitely got the flavor there, pretty well balanced. Uh, so Captain Lawrence always does good work. So that was nice. Um, I had the Apricotopus by Parallel 49 Brewing. I don't even know where they are located, but this was a, it was an apricot sour. Uh, oh, they're in Vancouver. Wow. I was going to say, not, I thought I recognized that name. Yeah, I did not know that. It was delicious. Uh, really, uh, I mean, just really delicious beer. Um, very, very, very sour. Very, very, very apricot. Uh, so if you like those two things, I guess keep an eye out for that. I had never seen it before, and apparently it's Canadian. So I don't know how well available they are. Um, and then also had uh, some more local things uh, that I've had before. Uh, Two Roads Honey Spot IPA, one of my favorites. Uh, the white IPA from the dies up in uh, Stratford, Connecticut. Um, I had Other Half's IPA, always very solid. And uh, the Billy Halfstack IPA from Single Cut, one of my favorite breweries here in New York, which I bring up a lot. Uh, one of their best IPA efforts. So really solid week on the IPA front, I'd say. And then that nice apricot sour, which was a little different. Very nice. Um, so for me, I had a bunch of different things. Um, the brewery, I had their Flanders Giant. It's a uh, bourbon barrel aged uh, Flanders Red. I felt it was a little heavy handed on the bourbon versus Flanders, but still enjoyable beer. A hefty, like 14% or so. Um, had from Mumford Brewing around here, um, Unpresidential IPA. Uh, it was kind of an East Coast style IPA, but very, very good. Uh, juicy, as, as most would expect from an East Coast style IPA. Um, one of my favorite beers um, anywhere is uh, Beachwood Brewing's uh, Amalgamator. Uh, again, excellent IPA from them. They put it out a few times a year. Um, had Mrs. Stoutfire from the brewery, uh, kind of a oak-smoked uh, stout uh, that the brewery put together with Beachwood um, a few years back, and they uh, re-released some bottles uh, this year in an archive sale, so grab one of those. Um, the brewery also has their uh, Fruct series. It's uh, just like fruited Berliner Weisses, and they had the uh, Fruct Apricot uh, that you would have really liked, Dan. It's uh, very enjoyable. Still hang- hanging around, only about 4.4%. Um, but yeah, drank really big. Had a nice sour uh, back end on it, and smelled great. What else? Um, went to Monkish around here. Had their uh, Danfino, too. Uh, one of their uh, East Coast style IPAs. Uh, they're brewing a collaboration with Arizona Wilderness Brewing Co. Uh, over in Phoenix. So uh, Arizona Wilderness had their Pine Mountain Sour Pale Ale on tap at Monkish, which is very good. Uh, had Arizona Wilderness, um, not this past time I was in Arizona, but time before that. Went to the brewery, cool spot. Uh, they make some some good beers. Um, also had Monkish's uh, Jolly Pumpkin um, collaboration uh, Cucuritophobia it is, uh, that apparently is the fear of pumpkins. It's a Saison. Enjoyed that. I should know that it's a thing, but, like, <laughs> why is that a thing? I, I don't know. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, like, fear of things that no one should ever have. But, yeah, that's, that's a thing for some reason. Fear of large orange gourds. Speaking of, I saw that uh, pumpkin is, uh, is already out on, uh, on shelves. Oh, yes, it's fall, guys. It was only 95 degrees with a million percent humidity today. I shouldn't complain, because pumpkin is, like, one of my favorite beers, and I drink it, like, all the time during the fall. But, like, make me wait for a little bit. Yeah. Make it a, make it special. It's out for, like, eight months now. <laughs> like, I saw, yeah. Give it to I, me for, like, four. <laughs> I saw there's already a Halloween costume section at Costco. Like, no, 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 no. Can't do this, people. Um... Yeah, and then I also grabbed that uh, that new Belgium uh, Fat Tire and Friends box. 
uh, where they did a couple different variations of uh, Fat Tire. Uh, so I had the Fat Pale Ale that they did with Rheingeist, um, which is up in Cincinnati, and then the uh, Fat Wild Ale they did with Avery um, out in Colorado. Both were all right. Uh, nothing amazing, but good beer is just the same. Yeah, that was uh, that was my beer intake for the weekend. Yay, beer. Yay, beer. Um, okay. And now we talk... Um, Atlantic Division. I think we can just go alphabetically. So the uh, Boston College Harambes are uh, are up first. And uh, Dan, what do you think? Um, are, are the Harambes going to, uh, to 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 win for their namesake this year, or are they going to fail miserably? Um, I think they're probably not going to. Uh, I don't know. I don't feel. I wouldn't feel great if I was the uh, unfortunately deceased Rilla. If I would, I would wish that a better team would would have taken up this uh, this mantle for me. But of course, I am also dead. So, um, I I, I assume Harambe be a Bearcats fan, right? Like, so maybe he, he's got more pressing issues. He does. Like, he's not dead himself. He, he's not dead in the Big Twelve. <laughs> or get reelected to president at this point because Harambe is outdrawing a lot of candidates. Yeah, that's true. That's way to go. Um, yeah, BC. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't buy them. I don't buy them either. Um, their their offense was just so bad last year, and they lose Don Brown. And I just don't think statistically their defense can be as good as it was last year. Like, even if they're still really good, odds are they just can't be as good. Um, and if they take a big step back on the defensive end, like Patrick Tolles had some nice moments at Kentucky. I'm not buying him as like the savior of the program. I mean, he was pretty bad last year uh, overall. Um, there's a reason why Kentucky just was fine letting him go. Um, they have some decent backs, but no one was all that productive. Like they have a lot of guys. I feel like that could be nice complimentary backs, but no one that's, uh, going to be a workhorse. I, yeah. I, I guess Hellman was hurt last year, right? Yeah, so he was hurt like early on last year. I think. Yeah. And Rouse is okay. And Miles Willis is okay. But like, there's not a lot of like, not a lot to get you excited. And the team lost to Scott Schaefer's team last year. Like yeah. it's tough. It's tough to get all that uh, all that worried about BC. Um, I do think Adazio is like I almost feel like he uh, might be like a better coach than he ends up like looking if he gets fired after this year. Like he might be one of those guys who ends up like landing at a, P, a, a G five job and ends up being really good at that level. But uh, BC is a tough one, and he got a lot done those first couple years. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not buying on DC, but uh, for BC, not DC. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I know we talked about it, you know, years ago. I, I think, you know, Adazio's a good coach, um, but I think, and I think he might end up being underrated at the end of his time at BC. But, you know, you look at the early returns, he, he came in to a team that when Spaziani was fired, there were uh, 18 seniors on that roster that Adazio inherited. And of course he went eight and five. Um, and then the next year, you know, there was, he lost a bunch of different players, but he didn't lose enough to really derail the team. So they went seven and six, but you saw the diminishing returns on the recruiting front. You saw them struggling to really bring in, um, you know, much outside the local three-star guys. Um, I think BC for the most part, you know, you're looking at the Northeast. Uh, it seems like they recruit Ohio and Pennsylvania pretty well or well enough. But yeah, they just didn't seem like they were expanding upon recruiting enough or, bringing in the, those types of talents and you, especially a quarterback where I think that they're just a, a tire fire in terms of, of being able to build depth I mean now you you know you're looking at two of the last three years um, they, they've had to bring in you know talent externally um, to make up for the fact that they don't know how to recruit uh, a quarterback I think they haven't recruited a, a receiver in, in what feels like a decade um, I think the running backs are going to be good but again like Adazio's not recruiting well. He had to, you know, in the last couple of years, he's either cleaned house or his good coaches left. Um, I just think there's a lot more worry than even this schedule can kind of glance over. Uh, I mean, they, they do face a pretty easy slate here, but at the same time, like you look up and down this thing, there's, I got three assured wins. Um, I mean, this is still, you know, how you schedule if you want to try to make a bowl with a bad team. Um, you got at UMass, which is a win. You got Wagner. You got Buffalo. Um, they got a Connecticut game that you know could, based on how UConn's doing in late November, 
you know, could basically be a BC home game. BC is having a solid season. Um, yeah, you know, overall, I think you know this this is the right way to schedule for for a bad team. But I I don't think that should that should cover up that that this is a school that has not built depth very well um, on the offensive side of the ball at all. Um, we'll see how they do on defense. Um, you know, when you lose, obviously your your staff's best coach. And then you also replace your offensive coordinator with Scott Leffler, who I was never really all that impressed with at Virginia Tech. Um, I'm wondering what I'm supposed to be excited about and why everybody seems to be willing to buy into six or seven wins here. Um, yeah, you've heard of the receivers. Uh, you know what's bad is when your uh, your leading receive, returning receiver had 17 catches for 233 yards and two touchdowns. That's worse than And it's worse... It, it is, and it's worse when that leading receiver was also your team's leading receiver last year with those numbers. Yeah. Not great. And, and one of those catches is a 66-yard touchdown, so, like, take that away, which... Oh, oh God. Yeah. No, like, take away... Because <laughs> I did this with that... Uh, what was that article I wrote a couple weeks ago? Using the uh, Pythagorean um, win expectancy. And if you take away the stupid... Uh, seventy to nothing. Like what was it? Howard? Who the hell did they face last year? No, um, seventy six nothing. Howard win. Like yeah. th- this team was miserable. And that was like week one. So it was just after that, if I remember correctly, that was week one. It was week two. Week one, they beat Maine twenty four to three. They played Maine and Howard back to back weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you do UBC. Well, they lost. They screwed up some non-conference scheduling somewhere. Oh, no, it was the New Mexico State thing, I think. Uh, yeah, like, the end of the broken that. BC was playing New Mexico State. Also, BC went to Las Cruces. Yes, they did. I remember that. <laughs> like well, the only what in the world? The only power conference team not t- that isn't Texas Tech that would ever go there. And Texas Tech only goes there because they don't get yelled at for throwing uh, tortillas, I'm guessing, there. Because, like, if you throw tortillas at New Mexico State, does anyone see you throw tortillas? I don't think so. No. No. I'm pretty sure that's, that's an existential question that we all know the answer to. <laughs> all right, Dan, so looking at this schedule, um, what do you see from a wins perspective? Because I've got four. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to assume they're going to beat UMass because UMass, but that's not a given. Like, that's not a total given. That's also um, after being in Ireland the week, in week one. That's also tough, and they, they, it's like a regular turnaround, too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they should beat UMass. UMass is still not very good. They, they had some signs of life last year, but we'll, we'll give them that one. Um, they'll, they'll beat Wagner, I assume. Buffalo? They should win. <laughs> If we're talking like, about your team like this, that means you suck. No, like, like they are the overwhelming favorites to be Buffalo, but, like, would anyone be shocked? No. And then I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say three. I'm going to say Wake gets him at home. I'm going to say three wins. You and I know Wake has no home field advantage whatsoever. Yeah, but BC doesn't have a... I mean, BC doesn't have any advantage anywhere. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Wake gets, gets a late win at home. Uh, they do it for... Uh, Clawson, I assume Clawson will still be there next year oh, because, yeah. like, you're awake. Like, what are you doing? So, yeah, I'm going to say three wins. See, I, I, I'm vacillating between three and four. I think uh, when you go to Vegas, I, I would. There, there's two bets I would make: um, the under on BC and the under on Wake. Since Vegas is Wake really at six and a half? Yeah, Wake's really at six and a half, and then I think BC is somewhere around six. That's crazy. I, I'd feel better about BC just like I trust Adazio. Right. Like a little bit. Like it wouldn't – if BC won six games at the end of the year, it'd be like, you know what? I didn't see that coming in, but like it doesn't totally shock me. Wake, it would surprise me a lot. <laughs> Wake, I would be very surprised. See, I think Wake's getting bet, better. We, and I, guess, I guess we'll just we'll, – we'll skip to Wake and then – so so this is, once again, disrespect because we're skipping Clemson. We'll come back. I swear. <laughs> we're yes. We'll, we'll come back for you, Wake Forest. It's like the ACC after the ACC eventually lets eight Wake Forest go. <laughs> I, yeah, I, no. Notre Dame really wanted both UConn and uh, and Houston, 
I, first thing, first thing that popped in my head. Yeah, they really want both. Well, we're going to add you back when we get to 18. Yeah, wait. That's that's Rain what we're going to do. Actually, yeah, just I, go go hang out in the Sun Belt for a bit, and we'll we'll be back for you. As I've said before, I would trade Wake for Vandy, but as the SEC would never take that trade. No, they wouldn't. And I, I think you do make that trade. Just even if just to mix up the the stateness a little bit, like the yeah. like just you're not for in North Carolina. And Nashville is a fun road trip. See, the, it'll actually never happen because apparently Wake Forest is kind of the intermediary school that like kind of does all the like negotiations from what I've heard. Um, so they kind of do have a role. Um, just oh, winning football games is not that role. Wellman's <laughs> also been there what like twenty one years. As yeah, he's like he's like a he's like a well well renowned eighty. So they 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 play their part. Fair enough. All right. So the uh, the demon demon Deeks. Um, I I have some faith in Wake Forest this year. Not gonna lie. Um, look, I, look at you. You're I, buying into the narratives here. I'm not buying into the full narrative though. I. Because to be honest, I, I know we talked about this like a month ago. I, I could I could see six for Wake if everybody stays healthy. And that's the problem uh, for Wake, especially when they fit, play Syracuse, is that no one can stay healthy. I mean, one of the, the running theme of each of the last four Wake-Syracuse matchups has been a crucial injury at the worst possible time for Wake Forest. Yeah. I mean... Like every single I, I, game. Yeah, no, they, they, they got totally hit hard. I feel like what we were talking about before with Syracuse, like, the things just not lining up. Like, if they had that defensive backfield from two years ago, oh, and yeah. it just, like, they'd be in really good shape. But they, they had that weird thing where they had, like, a really nice portion of their team, and it came at the same time where their offense, like, could not gain a rushing yard against anyone. So, like, it just things just didn't line up that well. Um, I think there's a chance John Walford is good if he stays healthy. Uh, he's had moments. He, like, kind of looks the part. Um I don't know. I, I just don't. I feel like they haven't brought in like enough overall talent where I feel great about them um, really making that step forward into like bowl contention. And I know that's not what you're predicting either, because you just told me you wanted to gamble on them not doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think they probably do have the more impressive offensive pieces. Uh, Cortez Lewis is a really solid receiver. Cam Serene. Uh, how do you pronounce Serene's last name? Serene. I'm going with Serene. Serene. Okay. Uh, like they have a couple. I mean, they have five returning guys that have more receiving yards than BC's best. Uh, so like, there's that. But like and Wake a couple of those are like actual players. But like Wake um, still hasn't had a running back in a very long time. No, it's been... They had a guy who got suspended like to the beginning of, like I think, Clawson's first year, and people acted like he was good, and then he came back, and he just wasn't good either. Um, they bring back a lot of their offensive line, which is nice, and that's been... I mean, it's nice if they improve. They've been dreadful for a while. Yeah. Um, so that's always, like, we've talked about that in the past, too. Like, yeah, it's nice to bring back experience at the O-line, but, like, when you have a totally porous O-line, like, you are you also betting on those guys. Yeah, you're also betting on those guys improving. Um, I think their defensive front is actually kind of interesting. Um, Wendell Dunn and Duke Edgio are interesting players. They have Zeke Rodney, who I remember being a pretty big recruit. Uh, I think we were after him. Um so they have some interesting pieces there. Their linebackers take a big hit. Brandon Chubb was really, really good. He's gone. Um, I like Mark Marco. Lee. He's a nice player. He, he made some plays. And the defensive backfield, which was, like, I'm trying to remember last year, their numbers were, like, okay, but as soon as, like, a decent player stepped in against them, they got shredded right. versus, like, a couple years ago when they actually had good corners. Um, but I don't know. I don't think it's totally hopeless. I just I think that their their talent just needs, like, an overall lift. Uh, but they also, they schedule okay for success, so maybe maybe they can win like four or five games. I mean, I'm uh, as a as a uh, brother of a Wake Forest senior, I, I won't be rooting against them, except for when they play Syracuse. But uh, I'm still like very calm. Uh, if, I don't even know if I'd call it cautiously optimistic. I think there's a chance that they have their best year under Clawson, and they probably need to hang on to Clawson unless things get like really bad, just especially based on like all the injury problems and, you know, it hasn't been an easy go of it for him, but I'm kind of you know I have to see it first, and just the last three years just haven't haven't looked good. Yeah, I mean it's weird because like we see Wake through the lens of Syracuse fans, and when you see Wake through the lens of Syracuse fans, all you see is a team that loses to us, no matter how bad we are. Um, and so it's hard to really differentiate that from you know the rest of um, Wake's resume. I mean, look at last year's results, um, and you do see an improving team. 
Uh, you see a team that lost by seven to Bowl Team Indiana, eight to a uh, very good Florida State team, lost by thirteen to us somehow. Um, they got smoked by North Carolina. Uh, they did not do well against NC State. But then the last four, uh, one point loss to Louisville. Uh, you lost by twenty-one at Notre Dame. You lost by twenty at Clemson, and you lost by six to Duke. A couple things roll a different way. This Wake Forest team is maybe five and seven, and like a sleeper pick to go like eight and four. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think that they're 8-4 talent. I don't think they are or were last year either. But um, I, I do see a team that's improving. I think the running back situation is going to be bad once again, and I think that that just harms them so much because if they can't run the ball, um, it puts Walford under attack. Um, the second Walford's under attack is usually when he gets hit and when he gets knocked out. I mean, this is why you probably end up with a, with a quarterback controversy. Um, and Kendall Hinton who's more of a mobile guy, seems like he's someone who could be plugged in. I know we went after uh, Jamie Newman, uh, who's a true freshman. I could really see him um, if, if, you know, shit hits the fan by midseason for Wake. Um, I could see Newman actually getting plugged in here um, to continue Wake's, uh, you know, quarterback carousel that they seem to go through. Um, I think if you took BC's running backs, and um, I don't really know what BC's offensive line's like, but I'm assuming it's decent because it's BC. Uh, and put that with Wake's uh, passing game, I think they actually might have something. Oh, yeah. No, they would, I think they should just fold like the dual programs and just have one program this year. All right. I'm, I'm with it. I mean, it, that wouldn't be great for Syracuse. I actually hope they don't do that. But if I was uh, the AD at BC or Wake, I would start seeing you know what, how the, the machinations of this would work. Yeah. The Boston Forest Demon Deagles. Maybe get you know, a, nice, a nice dual degree program going because it's for the student-athletes. This and is all about... Enriching the lives of our student athletes. <laughs> so I guess moving on from Wake Forest, the, the demon, the demon beagles, <laughs> the demon beagles. <laughs> it's just a dog with horns, <laughs> riding a motorcycle. I'm pretty sure there's like a later generation Pokemon that's basically that. I, I, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Um, so Dan, looking at the schedule here, all being super realistic. Um, I got them 3-1 and one in the non-conference, the Tulane-Delaware Army. I got them losing at Indiana because I think Indiana is actually pretty talented, especially on offense. Um, I got... I just don't... And we'll get into this. I don't buy NC State either, so I'm giving them a win against the Wolfpack. Um, I'm giving them a win against Virginia. We're at five now. The, the, the BC game decides bowl eligibility in, in, in the final week. I struggle to give them the uh, NC State game. Um, just as, like, I feel like NC State is sits and sits in perpetuity, and uh, they should beat Wake Forest. Uh, Tulane, for sure. Uh, Delaware, for sure. I agree with you on Indiana. No, Indiana. Indiana is, like, hopefully the floor of what Syracuse under Babers should be. Like, they're not great, but... But I'll like take Kevin Indiana their, as, like... A they have their system. Team. They're fun. Like, if Babers got, like... I wouldn't be happy if Babers got Syracuse to Kevin Wilson, Indiana, and I hope that the process is quicker than that. But I hope that there's, I hope that things can't be worse than that. I think that's fair. Indiana also has to play like the ridiculous Big Ten East, um, which sucks. Uh, Army, yeah, they'll beat Army. Virginia, I, they should. Like, I feel like Virginia, there's a chance that like Mendenhall is just like, wait, all this talent's here. Why did they always suck and turns them into something decent? But Apparently, like, the, the early reports haven't been great, as far as I can tell. It must That might take a little while. Um, and there's also a chance that that talent just kind of run, ran out because London's recruiting really fell off in a big way uh, down the stretch. And I already have them beating BC. So I'm going to give them... <sighs> this is dicey. I don't feel as good about this bet anymore. <laughs> I, six and a half is a lot. Like, I don't I see know. where seven is. I don't see where you get seven. I think six is the absolute ceiling. Well, because seven, I'm gonna, seven assumes you go three and one in the swing games. Yeah, and has this team like shown that? Like, no. I don't, I don't see it. Seven and one to get to seven wins. What's your path? Tulane, Delaware, at NC State for sure. Army, Virginia, BC, and then you have to beat one of Indiana on the road. You have to at Duke on the road, which I don't think they're going to do. Us um, or Louisville? Us or Louisville? Maybe us, but like. I'm talking myself into it now, then. That's not good. So well, now, now we see why it's at six and a half. I still feel very good about the under on that. I can see why people are a little more optimistic. I just, I feel like this is kind of like an on-paper thing, and 
when they actually play, we're going to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're weak. Yeah, I'm going to give them five. I'm gonna, I don't know what five they are. Uh, I'm going to take the positivity that we've expressed for the Demon Deacons slash the Demon Beagles here. And I'm going to give them five just out of courtesy. Um, and I realize now that even if they win five games, I think my brother's four years at college would have been like a grand total of, I don't even know how many wins. <laughs> Not many. Still probably more than I experienced when I was there. Oof. Sorry, John. Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The back three years of Greg. <laughs> and the last year of, of, of P, which was... The first year of Marone. No, you weren't there for P. Marone, yeah. I was that your year mixed up. And the first year of Marone, which was four wins. And they were four great wins. We really enjoyed them. No, I was fine with that. Um, all right. So we're going to skip NC State. Um, half because you and me didn't have anything positive to say about them anyway. Um, this is a team that recruits top 40 talent and plays like their top 60 talent. Um, they also have no ability to recruit a quarterback, um, though maybe Jalen McClendon is a guy. I think Matt Days is a very good uh, running back. And, yeah, that's all I got. I don't think NC State is going bowling this year. Um, I'm not even looking at their schedule. I'm going to assume they're going to sit six. Okay. Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> We kind of need to get through this. Sorry, yeah. NC State fans, but you guys are the boringest team in the world. Yeah, we have like um, 10-ish minutes to talk about like three teams that are probably going to win that are like good. nine games. <laughs> two teams, exactly, that, two teams that are legitimate playoff contenders and Louisville who might go to like a New Year's Six Bowl if things break right. So that's All right, exactly let's go. what this podcast is. <laughs> we, spend, we spend 25 minutes on the, on the Demon Beagles and then we rush through the important teams. Of course. I think we did this backwards. Yeah, probably. Well, that's where we're going to continue from the bottom up, Louisville. Um, everybody's high on Louisville, and that's why I'm worried about Louisville. Um, that said, they have—I think they have top 35, top 40 talent. Um, I think Lamar Jackson, I could be very good. Could be very good, but I think everyone's a little too sold on the hype so far. Agree. Um, he runs like he's—he's he's a crazy runner. You know, he's passing. Great. We'll see. But he absolutely. All right. So he absolutely torched. Was A and M in the bowl game last year? Yes. Yeah, he yeah. just did ungodly things to A&M. And A&M does have some nice defenders. A&M's defense was also a train wreck last year. Um, I know they have John Chavis, uh, and he should improve things. Um, this isn't an A&M preview. So we'll see. Uh, I think the talent is definitely there, though. Yeah, I think the talent's, and the talent's there for, for Jackson. I think they have a great uh, running back situation. Uh, Ratcliffe, in particular, tore us up. Uh, I think Staples and Quick are, are about as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find in this conference. Uh, the only one that passes it up is probably Clemson's one-two punch with Bryant and Williams. Um, I think the line replaces some pieces, but not enough to disrupt things. And then the defense replaces just about nobody. So, you know, Devontae Fields is going to lead a very terrifying defense. Um, I still don't know if they turn into full Petrino ball here. Um, I still think they might be led by their defense, but that might not be a bad thing for Petrino as a coach for this program overall to kind of figure out a new reality and still be able to win. Um, they really didn't challenge themselves in non-conference other than at Houston, which I think that's really where this uh, this season kind of you know gets the pass or fail um, if, if you buy the hype. Um, if they beat Houston, they're probably a 10-win team. Um, if they don't, they're hanging around 8 or 9. Um it also depends on how much you have buying the Houston type. Yeah, it kind of, I, I'm buying in on Houston, and I know I've been like very skeptical on a lot of these teams. I think Houston is like I think they overachieved last year, but I think that there's there's a chance they actually improve this year and like kind of live up uh, to like to live up to the hype, especially because I don't think the AAC can possibly be as good as it was last year. Um, we already did at AAC though, so. Uh, yeah, Louisville, um, it kind of sucks that they have to play that team that late <laughs> in the day. second to last week. Yeah. Um, they'll beat Charlotte. Uh, they should beat us, although it wouldn't be crazy if that was a kind of trap game with Florida State the next week. They'll win at Marshall. I don't think they're going to win at Clemson. Duke is tricky. Uh, yeah. They bring Duke in. I think Duke will it down here. That's possible. Um, NC State they'll beat. Virginia they'll beat. BC they'll beat. Wake Forest they'll beat. I don't know about Houston. That's like it feels like like I feel like these two teams are on similar planes, uh, and then it'll be Kentucky. Um, so that's what that's like. 
That's nine wins. Eight, it's eight, nine wins. Like, this team gets eight or nine wins, and that's my only problem with Louisville is that they're not going to get tested very often. When they do, I don't see them doing well. So how good are they? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, there's a giant – there's such a big drop after Florida State and Clemson um, that I just don't see them being at the point where uh, – I mean, they, they, they host Florida State, right? Like, they, they bring in Florida State. Yeah. Um, I mean, if DeAndre Francois doesn't materialize – and Sean McGuire doesn't take a or Sean or Sean McGuire doesn't take like a weird senior step forward that doesn't seem like he's going to. Maybe they can get that one, but I think Dalvin Tart's just too good. And Florida State, so much talent and defense. I think that could be a close game again, like it was a few years ago in Louisville. I think that was a random Thursday night game. Um, I think Louisville was wearing black and they picked off Jameis Winston a bunch. It was but an it's interesting game. Thir- but it's always Thursday night games that, that, that do that shit. Yeah, so it, you know maybe they steal that one, but um, I really don't see them beating Clemson. Uh, in Death Alley. Um, I feel pretty good about this being an 8 or 9 win team. I, I don't think this, I think that that's probably the floor, um, unless things go really, really sour. Uh, and maybe they can win like 10 or 11. Um, but I think that that's a, asking a little much. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, next, do you want to do FSU or Clemson? I guess that really depends on which team you think is winning the conference. Uh, I'm riding with Clemson. Um, I just. I think when in doubt, you take the quarterback, and I don't think the talent differential is that big in favor of Florida State everywhere else. And uh, the quarterback, even if Francois is really good, um, I don't think he's going to be in the same galaxy as Deshaun Watson this year. Uh, And then Clemson has plenty of talent elsewhere. Um, Crazy receivers. Uh, They have Dahlman, who broke out in a big way at the end of last year. Their offense could be one of the best in college football, if not the best. Um, So I I just trust Clemson a lot more. Uh, But Florida State should be really good. All right. Um, I'll start with Florida State because I think Florida State is going to not only win the conference but make the playoff. Um, I think Florida State returns a ton. I think that it's great to have returning talent at receiver. Um, It makes up for the fact that you aren't returning talent at quarterback. The offensive line is pretty much back with a boatload of experience. Dalvin Cook's back, which automatically means you have an advantage on anyone you go up against um, at least – for a half or so. Um, I think the defense, you know, the way that this team has kind of just churned out four-star players and really kind of, um, you know, plugged in a lot of younger guys early so they can get good experience for the year after when they jump up in the depth chart, uh, I think is great, and it's a hallmark of what, you know, Jimbo's done there. I think in general, um, this is. I think this division is going to come down to a stupid tiebreaker. Um, I could see Florida State beating Clemson, um, by a hair and, and getting through because they were able to run through the rest of the ACC. Um, but both teams maybe going 11-1. Um, I could see Florida State easily losing to Old Miss. I think Florida State's early schedule really kind of decides what they do. Um, I think they're tested more than um, anybody in the conference over the course of the first probably six weeks. I mean, you get Old Miss, uh, Charleston Southern to win, but then at Louisville, South, at South Florida... You get North Carolina and then at Miami. Uh, if Florida State is five and one or better, um, they are a very easy, in my mind, playoff pick. Um, if you're five and one or better um, after October eighth. Yeah, that Ole Miss team is, is is that's such a tough way to start the year, especially with a new quarterback. Because Ole Miss, I don't think their defense is going to be what it's been the last couple of years. They lose a ton of uh, a ton of talent, but. Um, they should have a really good offense. Uh, obviously, they have Chad Kelly, who's probably one of the five best quarterbacks in college football, uh, out of nowhere, by the way, um, as of last year. Uh, so that's just a really tough, tough draw, even if they have like a, a crowd advantage there. Um, but after that, I mean, like you said, this is this is just really tough. I mean, they have Miami, obviously, as a crossover rival. Miami, I, I don't think they'll be ready to take down Florida State, but... You never know um, if there's a game that fans at Miami get up for. It's this one, and they'll have the emotion of like Mark Ritz' first game, um, first Florida State game, obviously, uh, back at his alma mater. Um, at South Florida, like they, South Florida almost like kind of gives them fits a little bit, um, and South Florida could be really good. Uh, they obviously have to go to, at, uh, go to Louisville, like we talked about just a little while before. Um, at NC State, I know neither of us are super high on NC State, but like that's been a weird game in the past, so. Yeah, this is uh, and then Florida at the end. I, I don't. I'm not in love with the Florida Gators, but they're they're really talented. So yeah, this is a this is a minefield of games. Um, I think they are talented. 
enough to win 10 um, if their quarterback situation shakes out and Francois is like a really solid first-year starter or if Sean McGuire is just like a really nice uh, placeholder, um, which I don't have a lot of faith in the latter. Uh, they could be a 10 or 11 game winner, but otherwise um, I, th- I think they're just a notch below Clemson just in terms of like the, the top end of their roster. Fair enough. And I think, you know, for Clemson, a lot of that's just because of what returns, I think on offense in particular, um, all the key pieces are back. Everyone forgets that Mike Williams really didn't play last year. And he's um, one of the 10 best receivers in college football. If he's healthy. Yeah. Maybe that's even like too low. Yeah, I'd say top five. Him and Artavis Scott are probably, and I apologize earlier for mentioning Martavis Bryant, but um, yeah, Artavis Scott. I didn't Scott, even catch it, so. It's fine. I'm sure a Clemson fan is already. Is already oh, God. You're, you're, you already have an email, and this isn't even posted yet. <laughs> so From yeah. Jay Slater. Jay Slater's all over this. <laughs> Listen, Northerners, no, it's fine. Um, I actually live further south in the country than Clemson is, so. Um, oh, shots fired. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, between Scott, Williams, uh, Wayne Gallman, and Adam Choice are both great options at running back. Um, Hunter Renfro, the god. This is, I mean, admittedly, the, the offense is loaded where, where I'm going to ask some questions, and I really shouldn't doubt Venables at this point, is, is on defense where, you know, again, they lost a ton of talent um, pretty much everywhere. I mean, you're looking at Ben Bolware is really your, your kind of uh, stalwart from last year. Um, just about everybody else is uh, is replaced. Um, th- th- that's really where the question marks come in because I think you, you know you saw. I didn't consider Alabama to be an explosive offensive team last year, and Alabama was able to do some real damage. Um, South Carolina sucked on offense and defense last year and was able to do some damage. Um, Syracuse was able to put up points against Clemson's defense. Um, North Carolina, obviously, um, even Georgia Tech, like. I mean, before that whole team fell apart, NC State put up points. So, like, I really respected and still do respect what Clemson did on defense and what Venables has been able to do since he arrived, you know, after that horrific, horrific uh, bowl loss. But um, at the same time, I just – I don't know if they're due for a little bit of a step back, if only because of so much replacement. And obviously last year, even though those guys were really good, they also had their moments where, you know, you could second-guess them. Yeah, I think that's the one concern, is if this team turns into, like, one that has to win shootouts versus last year where they were super balanced. Um, but they do have Venables, who's been pretty stellar the last couple of years, like you said, um, and they've had no problem. Like, they 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 lost a lot of defensive end talent a couple of years ago, uh, and they replaced it, and Kevin Dodd turned into an absolute monster, and Shaq Lawson turned into an All-American. Uh, and this year, I think, I mean, they have plenty of uh, four- and five-star guys to plug back in, Christian Wilkins, to be one of the best defensive tackles in the country. Um, I think their interior line is, like, strangely strong. Uh, defensive end, they obviously lose a lot with those two guys that I mentioned before. Um, but then, you know, they have Ben Bolwer, which is as good a, a solid linebacker that you're doing, as you're going to get, super productive. Um, I just think there's a lot of talent here. There's a chance they do give up more points, but with the offense that they have, I'm not uh, too worried about them not being able to drop, like, 40 on most teams if they need but, you know, when it gets to the playoff, that could be an issue. Yeah, I, I again, I, I agree with you that, that they they might be a, a notch above Florida State in terms of talent, but I don't know, like, how big that notch is, I guess. Um, I would I would bet it's not, it's not that big of a difference. I think that they're better on offense. I don't know if they are on defense. and that I think FSU is more talented on defense. Right. I think Clemson has a better quarterback. I think Clemson has better better receivers. Florida State probably has a better running back, even though I do like Goldman a lot. Um, I think Florida State probably has more talented depth. Like, I think if you just average out the entire roster. But if you're going to ask me to choose between that and Deshaun Watson, I'm going to take Deshaun Watson. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I this is so a... complimentary of Clemson. I apologize to everyone. <laughs> it's very off-brand. Super off-brand. Well, that's why I'll change that. <laughs> I, I am in the Bill Connolly school of um, defensive experience matters more. Um, I again, I've I've got these two teams at eleven and one, and I've got Florida State winning the conference, and I've got Florida State going to the playoff. And um, that's not even despite Clemson. It's just to say that I, I think that 
that Cook and whoever ends up being the quarterback will be able to get it done. They're not going to win as pretty as Clemson is going to, but I, I think that Florida State's defense is going to be able to guide them through um, better than it, than it did last year um, and better than Clemson's will this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that. And there's also a chance that Dalvin Tritt's the best player in college football. I, I'm not buying. I'm not saying that's the fact. That's a fact. I'm saying that it is definitely on the table. All right. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to end it. I think this was fairly productive, considering that there's only really one team we didn't talk about at length. Look Seriously, at you, well, oh, fact. NC State. Yeah, who cares? Well, yeah, we're not talking about Syracuse now. Because if we talk about Syracuse, I knew if we talked about Syracuse at all, it would derail the rest of the episode. And we have a whole we have a whole podcast for that. I mean, that's most of most of these episodes. So it's actually usually our most listened to podcast of the year. Ooh, based on looking forward to that. Yeah, based on the numbers I've seen. Uh, so keep looking forward to winning winning everyone back over after <laughs> after 51, 51 weeks of like everyone being like, why do we listen to this? <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you started asking that question, you stopped in like week three. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So, Dan, thank you as always for joining. It was a pleasure. Yes. Yes. Always. I look forward to the coastal next year. Next week, we're all like, "Oh, these teams that all win eight games." All except for except for Virginia. I mean, it's it's theoretically they could all win eight games. They just win all four non-conference games and and then go four and four in the division. It's perfect. I mean, I'm for it. I'm with it. Yeah, that, I think that coastal chaos is fine. Um, but anyway. That was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for listening to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, anywhere else you might listen to us. And, uh, yeah, talk to you next week. Go Orange. Go Orange. Hey. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.